Matthew 6, 7 through 14. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us this, this model prayer, this wonderful prayer that people call the Lord's Prayer, your word of instruction to us, uh, the very heart of God instructing us in what to pray for and how to pray. And we thank you, Lord, for giving this to us. We pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you would open our understanding to it, that we may apply it to our hearts and become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We commit our time in the word to you just now. In the name of Jesus, all praise and glory to his name. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, uh, this morning uh, will be part four. Part four um, of a series of messages about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, You may be saying to yourself, why is he starting at part four? Well, let me explain. Um, Many of you were um, not attending here when I started the series. It was my intention to preach through the Lord's Prayer as as I had um, opportunity to take the pulpit. So, um, and so you can go back with me. You may or may not have been here, um, and probably you, you weren't, but, uh, you know, um, part one was April of 2021, and part two was in July of 2021, and part three was in January of 2022, and then... We had the wonderful um, privilege of, of having Silas, you recall. Uh, Silas, uh, our apprentice, was with us for a year, and we wanted to give uh, him an opportunity to take the pulpit. Um, so I put four on, uh, part four on hold for a, nearly a year. Silas was here, and I was happy to give him the pulpit. And, and praise God for uh, Silas, our apprentice. Uh, and then on New Year's Day of this year, I preached about the new heavens and the new earth. I figured New Year's Day, part four can hold off a little bit. The new heavens and the new earth, it's New Year's Day, you know. Uh, So uh, that's what I did. I I preached uh, that message. So, (laughs) finally, uh, we are getting around to part four. Now, um, it's up, you you could do this. Um, 
Um, you can go to our website and you can scroll down uh, to those messages. Uh, they've all been recorded, so if you'd like to catch up, uh, you know, um, you can scroll down and find those messages that I preached. Or, um, you know, I, I could just catch us all up right now and preach a four-hour message and uh, catch us up right here and now. What do you think about that? No, oh, Trudy said no, okay. <laughs> we'll go with you, Trudy. No, uh, no, we won't do that. Uh, we won't do that. Uh, I'll just briefly touch um, on, on some points we have made already. Uh, Jesus said, when you pray, do not heap up empty Phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Pray then like this. This is not a rote prayer. This is a model prayer. That is, uh, these are the kinds of things we should pray for. Um, and the manner in which we should ask for them. This is not a mantra that we repeat ritualistically and routinely. So we pray, our Father in heaven, he is our heavenly Father. We are the family of God. We are the children of God. We may come to him corporately as we pray with and for one another. Hallowed be your name. This is not so much uh, as recognizing God as holy, but rather that mankind would acknowledge him as such. May people reverence God, O Lord, that you would not be disregarded, but may you be worshipped, adored, and given the glory that you are so worthy of. And your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is now and not yet, and not yet. It dwells in our hearts right now, but we do not see its full manifestation on the earth yet. O oh Lord, may people come into your kingdom now through the preaching of the gospel. O oh God, we long for the day when every vestige of rebellion is gone and this earth is the same way it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. The Lord is just as concerned for our physical needs as he is for our spiritual needs. The Lord provides our needs. And let me say that. Amen? Amen. The Lord provides our needs, not our greeds. Amen? <laughs> There, there it is. The Lord does provide our needs, not our greeds. Uh, we can call on him and depend on him to make provision for us. And he does that so abundantly. Praise his name. And then, when we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, we are asking and receiving forgiveness for offending God while at the same time not withholding forgiveness towards those we have offended, or who have offended us, rather. So let me say that again. We are asking and receiving forgiveness for offending God, while at the same time not withholding forgiveness towards those who have offended us. Mark eleven twenty five and 
Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. He has forgiven us. We are to forgive others. As a matter of fact, if you are an unforgiving person who holds grudges, you may still be outside of Christ. Matthew 6 and verse 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, those who are truly saved, those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior, those who owe Uh, whose debt of sin has been paid by the blood of Christ, those people forgive others because we have been forgiven. And so we forgive others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, that is our brief review of the sermons already preached. And with that, this morning, I would like to focus on Matthew 6.13. So if you would look at Matthew 6.13 with me. Matthew 6.13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God does not want us to sin. So why would he, why would we have to ask him to not lead us into it. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So if God does not tempt us, then why would we ask him not to do what he has said that he wouldn't do? What exactly are we asking what are we, uh, exactly are we asking for when we pray, lead us not into temptation? First of all, we know that God is not the author of evil and wickedness. He does not entice us to have sinful thoughts and actions. God is not the tempter. The Bible refers to Satan, the devil, as the tempter. You see that in Matthew 4, 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. The devil lures us, entices us, tempts us to give in to our own waywardness and sin. Satan cannot force us to sin, but through cunning allurements, he draws us away from God to act on our own desires. James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our prayer, lead us not into temptation, is asking God to guide us around situations and circumstances that may lure us into ungodly Thoughts and actions. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. Now, just because God promises to provide an escape from what is tempting us, we don't act presumptuously and head on straight to that temptation, thinking, I got this. It is no problem. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm not going to sin. I don't have to sin. There are certain places, people, and circumstances that seem to provoke me to sin. Have you noticed that in your own life? Oh, Lord, I know that when temptation comes to me, you have promised to deliver me. And if you allow it to come, I know you have a reason to test and refine me. But Lord, it's one thing for temptation to come to me and quite another for me to go to it. One way or another, please keep me and steer me away from that which would cause me to sin against you. Amen. We are vulnerable. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says... Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. We should avoid people and places that would entice us to sin. Joseph is a good example of that for us this morning. As we turn, uh, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 through 12. Genesis 39, 1 through 12. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to secede in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome, he was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. Now then, can I do this? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, 
when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Notice verse 10. If you put your eyes on verse 10, take a look at that. Day after day, Joseph resisted temptation over and over and over. And the temptress was relentless in trying to allure him and cause him to sin. He refused over and over. But notice that he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. He didn't listen to her, and he avoided being with her. He avoided her like the plague. He would not even put himself in a situation where he might give in to the enticement of sin. Then we see him actually physically running away from it. We see that in verse 12. He got out. He fled. With great urgency, he avoided that which would cause him to sin against God. And he said in verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And many things, many things are written down in Scripture so that we would be warned and take heed. Just want to read an excerpt from this very uh, read an excerpt from this very excellent book. When You Pray, written by uh, Philip Riken. And he says, The Apostle Paul said, These things were written down as warnings for us. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12. The weaknesses we see in the people of the Bible are the very weaknesses we ought to recognize in ourselves. Like Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit, we are vulnerable to temptation when we act on our own. Like Abraham, who lied about his wife to save his neck, we are vulnerable to temptation when we are scared. Like David, who slept with Bathsheba while his men were off to war, We are vulnerable to temptation when we are idle. Like Elijah, who wanted God to end his life, we are vulnerable to temptation when we are exhausted. Like Peter, who denied his Lord even after he promised to die for him, we are vulnerable to temptation when we are overconfident. In other words, we are vulnerable to temptation practically all the time. Practically all the time. There are uh, so many examples in the scripture about our vulnerability to temptation. And we're going to take a look at the, um, Peter's uh, temptation now and his overconfidence. If you want to look at uh, Matthew 26, and verse 30 through 35. Matthew 26, 30 through 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Take notice of that. Sometimes we come down on Peter. You look at that text. All the other disciples, they said the same thing. No, we're not going to do it. All the disciples said the same in verse 35. And after this, Jesus went to Gethsemane with his disciples. And we, we pick it up in verse 36 of chapter 26 of Matthew. Reading through verse 46. Then Jesus went with them to, place, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. On the night that Jesus agonized, over what was about to happen to him. He said to his disciples, watch, pray, but the flesh is weak. You see that in verse 41. They were sleeping instead of praying. In Luke's account, chapter 22, in verse 40, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And verse 46 says, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then later on that night, we see how the sleeping, overconfident Peter reacted when temptation came. Look at Matthew 26, 69 through 75. And the scripture says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it 
with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know, I I wonder what I would do. Have you ever wondered? What would you do? Oh, come on, Peter. You had your chance, and you blew it. Well, what would you do if you were given the choice to be faithful or go to jail? We know James Coates, Andy's friend in Canada, he went to jail. And we know all about that story. And uh, those times may come. We ask ourselves, and I ask myself, I have to, what would you do if you were given the choice to deny the Lord? Or die? Your choice. You can deny the Lord right now and walk out of here. If you don't deny him, you're going to die. Many, many martyrs have faced that prospect, haven't they? We're not to be presumptuous. Oh Lord, lead us not into temptation. We need your help. Amen? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us. And then again, uh, quoting uh, you know, Philip Riken uh, from this book, When You Pray is the name of the book. I think he makes a very excellent point about this. When he says, uh, Charles Spurgeon once told the story of a man who received mercy and found grace in his time of need. The story comes from the days of the English Reformation. It has been retold by Kent Hughes, who writes, History records the fate of two men who were condemned to die in the burning days of Queen Mary. One of them boasted very loudly to his companions of his confidence that he would stand firm at the stake. He did not mind the suffering. He was so grounded in the gospel that he knew he would never deny it. He said that he longed for the fatal morning, even as a bride for the wedding. His companion in prison would not deny his master. But he told his companion that he was very afraid of the fire. He said he had always been sensitive to suffering, and he was in great dread that when he began to burn, the pain might cause him to deny the truth. He besought his friend to pray for him, and he spent his time in very much weeping over his weakness and in crying to God for strength. The other continually rebuked him and chided him for being so unbelieving and weak. 
When they both came to the stake, he who had been so bold recanted at the sight of the fire and went back to an apostate's life, while the poor trembling man whose prayer had been, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he was burnt to a cinder. And that was the end of Spurgeon's quote. And then Riken continues and says, it, it was the man who knew his own frailty who glorified God. He knew that he was weak, that his enemy was strong, and that only God could save him. So he did what Jesus told Peter to do when he was in danger of denying his Lord. He prayed, lead me not into temptation. And God answered his prayer. Lead us not into temptation. You know, the word temptation comes from a Greek word that can be translated temptation or trial. Uh, we see this rendition in 1 Peter uh, 1.6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The word trials is the same Greek word used for temptation in other passages. So do we pray that we would not give in to the allurement of sin? Or do we pray to be delivered from trials and testing? The Greek word is rendered both ways, temptation or trial. So what do we pray for? I say both. I say both. Let's look at the entire verse and put it into context and lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from evil. A better translation for the word evil is the evil one. The evil one. When God allows the devil to heap trials upon us, it is to test the genuineness of our faith. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6 and 7, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James 1, 2 and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials test the genuineness of our faith and produces steadfastness in us. So why wouldn't we want that? Just keep in mind that what God does through our trials and what the evil one is attempting to do are two different things. Being tested by a hard trial can result in either trusting God or compromising to sin. The tempter, the evil one, the devil, will try to use the very trial that God intends for our good to trip us up and tempt us to sin instead of trusting God. Yes, it's true that trials are for our good, but should we pray for them or seek them out? On the contrary, 
We pray to be delivered from testing that is so severe that we give sin a foothold in our lives. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Lead us not into temptation. Charles Spurgeon commented on this. He said, in the course of providence, the Lord tests our graces and the sincerity of our profession. We entreat him not to try us too severely. Lest my joys and sorrows become temptations to me. But if I must be tried, Lord, deliver me from falling into evil and especially preserve me from that evil one. Above all, who seeks my soul to destroy it, temptation or trial may be for my God, for my good. Temptation or trial may be for my good if I am delivered from evil. Lord, do this for me, for I cannot preserve myself. Jesus knows we cannot resist the devil on our own. Do we know that? And praying, deliver us from evil, is a recognition that we need God's help, just as we are to ask for our daily bread, so we need to ask for daily deliverance from situations and circumstances that the devil would use to provoke us to sin. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Jesus instructs us to pray, deliver us from evil. First Peter 5, 8, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Verse 9 says, Resist him, firm in your faith. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are to stand firm and take up the armor of God. A part of that armor is prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Not only prayer, but we are to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's in Ephesians 6.17. We see how the Lord Jesus combated our foe uh, with the very word of God. If we look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. If you fall down, I worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. To him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. It is written, it is written, it is written. It is written, um, and that is uh, what God has given us, uh, his very promises, his very word. And praise God that he has given us the armor, prayer and the word to fight the enemy. Praise God that we may pray for God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Praise God that when we do sin, we do give in. We have a wonderful Savior. Is that right? Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one that we do not offend you, that we do not give offense to our holy God. But, oh Lord, if we we sin, thank you for your grace. Praise you for the wonderful Savior that you are. You know, 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. We ask that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, from the wicked one. May it be that you are our strength, Lord. May we depend on you in prayer. May we stand upon the promises that you've given to us in your word. We do not want to sin. And Lord, thank you that we have a wonderful Savior that provides such a redemption when we do sin, Lord. Deliver us from evil, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.